Nikki, what's up? Hi. How you feeling? I guess I'm nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for agreeing to come and uh, share your story. No problem. Yeah. So let's just jump right into it. So where are you from originally? Um, so I wasn't born in New Jersey, but I was raised in Medford, New Jersey. And um, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Um, I mean, I think my childhood was pretty normal. I have, I have a brother. Um, we never wanted for anything. Um, both parents still together. Live, we all lived, you know, under the same roof. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really normal sports. Just your typical, like, hustle and bustle of childhood, if you will. And so what kind of kid were you in high school? Um, I don't know if I really know how to describe that. Like, I, emotionally, I was always like a wear my heart on my sleeve kind of kid. Um, I can tell you that from early on, like, I never really had a, like, core group of friends. Um, I seemed to, like, kind of float between groups, um... And I guess in doing that, like, I became really good at being who everybody else was or who everybody else wanted me to be. Um, I don't think I ever really took too much too seriously. Like, I wasn't, like, a straight-A student. I wasn't a bad student, but I wasn't a straight-A student. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of just, like, fit in wherever I wanted to fit in at. So, do you remember the first time that you tried any type of drug? I do. I do remember. I mean, I was probably 14. Um, I was at a party with my older boyfriend at the time um, who was smoking weed and drinking. I mean, it was just like a typical, I'll say, innocent party. Um, Hard stuff didn't come till like much later for me. So it was a lot of that in high school. So how did it graduate from just like the typical drinking, smoking, partying to getting into the hard stuff? Um I guess I was kind of like a, so I, I drank, I always liked to drink. Um, that was, and like smoking weed was like, you know, obviously it wasn't legal back then. So it was still like, it was kind of like on the same level as drinking. So that stuff went on around me and like I participated all through high school. Um, and then when I got out of high school, a lot of my friends went off to like four-year schools and I still had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I had no real like like calling, I guess I felt. Um, so I stayed home and I started community college and I started dating a boy who was local, like somebody I knew growing up. And they all had decided not to go to school as well. Like there was a whole group of them. Um, and I think 
that was probably the first time I did anything like a like a hardcore substance. Um, and I would I would use like when I would use heavy stuff, I would use for three months straight every day. And then I'd wake up one day and I'd be like, meh, I'm over it. So I guess I was kind of a binge user. I never, I don't remember feeling like sick or anything when I stopped. So I don't really know that all that's kind of fuzzy for me, but I do know that I, I guess I was like 19 when I tried my first hard substance, which is kind of crazy because there are, I mean, it's around. I just never paid it any mind, I guess. And, and what was your drug of choice at the time? Oh, the first time I used it was ecstasy. Okay. And then at the height of your addiction, was it ecstasy or what were you using at that point in time? So there's, I, I have to kind of like jump a little bit. So from 19, like I picked up the first time, started using every day, and I would say probably three months. And then I just up and was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with these people. And then... I started working and like I spent a good amount of time sober, um, not intentionally, but I, it just wasn't a part of my life at that time. Um, so then, I mean, there's a lot of knee-jerk decisions in my story. Um, so I started working full-time. I meet my ex-husband and we get married. I'd say I was 22 when I got married. So I immediately rolled like right into family life. We had two babies back to back. Um, so there was a good stretch of like, probably like eight years where I was like, I was good. I would have a glass of wine here and there. I would, I never, never smoked weed. He was in the military. So that kind of stuff was just out of the picture. Um, and then when we separated, I guess I was probably 26 or 27 when we separated. Um, and now I'm a single mom. And I move, I'm by myself, and I turn to alcohol, which hadn't been an issue for eight years. So, um, and I met, you know, when you're drinking and smoking and doing whatever, you seem to meet a lot of people that are drinking and smoking and doing whatever. Um, so drinking probably started the like slippery slope and I'd say by 32 or 33, I was a full blown opiate addict. Um, I, I can't really still put my finger on exactly one thing that got me there, but like working full time and being a mom of two little girls full time, like kicks your ass. <laughs> more or less, and, and it was just, um, the opportunity presented itself. So, yeah, I'd say like 32 or 33, that was my full-blown addiction. And um, so how were, you, how were you introduced to opiates? So, um, in what I do professionally, they're in my hand all day, every day. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, you have like small introductions growing up. You get your wisdom teeth pulled. They give you opiates. You, you know, you have a surgery. They give you opiates. So there were small introductions, but 
they were never, it was never long enough for it to become a thing for me. And for some odd reason, like grow, growing up or in my experimenting years, like where normal people experiment, I don't really remember ever like hearing about opiates or anybody using them. And I don't know if it was just happening under my nose and I truly just didn't know better. Um, but I, I'd say just in my line of work, like they're in my hand every day. So, so did you know about the danger of them at that time? I did. I did because I was educated, right? Like you, they do tell you that they're dangerous. Do they really go to the extreme and explain what goes on when you're a full-blown addict? No, nobody really tells you that. We didn't learn that in school. Um, but I think I just told myself, like, people are prescribed them every day. They give you them for something as simple as having a tooth pulled. Like, it can't be that serious, right? Or, or the classic, like, I'll only do it once. I think that's kind of where I was at with it. So do you remember, like, the, how, how it felt the first time that you took it, like, outside of needing it for something like that, like a tooth pull or... Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I think, I think when it's like in your DNA like that, you don't ever forget that first um, because you never get that first experience again. That's the crazy thing. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, I remember exactly where I was s sitting out on my couch. How did it, how did it make you feel? Um, well, I was, I was always like very social. Um, and then, like I said about my schedule, like you have a full-time work schedule, you have kids full-time. Um, there was not a whole lot of room for like relaxation. It was just like, go, go, go all the time. Um, so I guess I remember taking the first time I took a pill and I, I like really felt something like, oh, this, like, this is kind of fun. This is kind of nice. Um, it, it made me okay with, like, being with myself. I didn't have to, like, constantly be doing something or be with friends or feel like I was missing out. Like, I was totally fine to just be by myself in my house, whatever, playing on my iPad or watching a TV show. Um, and for once, like, I just didn't feel like I was missing out. That's interesting because usually it's right. It's like in, like you said, like in social settings. Yeah. I, but I think, I think in social settings, you know, because eventually, like, eventually when you can't be without it, you are using in social settings. So on the every other weekend that I would get, that I would have no kids, I would be using and I'd be out. And it'd be like the, like, this is the new me. Like, I'm not shy. I'm not this. I'm not awkward. I'm not any of that. Like, I fit right in here. So it provided freedom both ways for me, or so I told myself. So then when you started, it was only, like, every once in a while. Like, you only yeah. did it when you didn't have your kids. Oh, no. I would, like, they would go to sleep at night. I would put them to bed, and then I'd take a pill. And I'd hang out by myself on my couch in the quiet of my home. It was the only time I was ever able to do that. Now, it, I didn't, um, 
it took a it took a long time to get like an all day every day thing. It it was like a there was like a building up process. So yes, it, it was never while like I was in if I had to drive my kids somewhere, if I had to be somewhere, like it was always when I knew I was home for the night. Like and the kids were good and they were off to sleep, like I was good. And then it was just whatever I wanted to do. How did it get into an all day, every day, you know, situation? I don't have like the, the boldest memories of the downslide. Like I don't really, I mean, it starts out like you start taking one at night and then it's like, okay, well I took one and I don't feel anything. So let's take two. And then it's like, all right, well, I can only take this much in this amount of time. You start trying to like set limits, right? And then when you're doing that late enough into the night, you wake up the next morning, you feel like crap. So I think it started that way. Like, well, I feel like shit. So if I, it's like hair of the dog when you were drinking. Like if you have a really, if you have a really horrible hangover, you just have a drink in the morning and then all of a sudden it's, it seems to be fine. It was kind of like that experience for me. Um, and then, and then like it rolls into like, I could just do this wherever I go because nobody even notices. I feel like opiates are so sneaky because you can do them in a social setting and unless somebody really is educated or knows you really well, they have no idea. It, so it went from being controlled and you wouldn't do it when you took your kids anywhere or you had to be somewhere, but then you kind of started breaking your own rules. Oh yeah. hundred percent broke my own rules. Um, yeah, not like not one of my finer moments as a human being, but, um, I think you start to look at it like, well, I can either be sick as a dog and my kids have to look at me, you know, sick, not feeling well, or I can maybe downplay what I normally do and try to make myself at least feel normal. And then before you know it, you don't even know what you're doing. You know, you don't even know what you're taking. So, or how many, or it, it, there's no controlling it. <laughs> Once it starts, like it's on. So being that you were a little bit older, right? And you kind of were like more established when this was, was going on. Yeah. Um, when did you notice that others started to notice what was going on? So... Or, or had a clue? So that's... It's interesting because up until I probably was like three years clean, my mom always thought it was alcohol, right? So that, for me, it was like, oh, like she thinks it, she thinks it's alcohol, like alcohol's legal. So in her mind, like, so I don't know that anyone ever, not until I came clean, like my, so my brother um, had like a brief stint with party, too many party substances. And he was, he, he knew, like he saw me and he was like, mom, this is not alcohol. This is bigger than that. And my mom's like, oh, no, she's just drinking too much. Like, 
and I don't know if it was like a denial thing or if she truly just was not educated, like didn't know. Um, so my brother knew. But it's funny, like when, when things start to fall apart, like everybody kind of leaves you. So although they may have had a clue, like nobody really said anything. Um, nobody really like stepped in to be like, hey, I think you're getting high. They just thought that I was drinking all the time and too much. And being that your brother knew, did he, did he ever say anything to you or? No, so my brother and I were not like super close growing up. Um, I think um, the area that we grew up in, like if you're like a, a like popular guy, like you just don't, you're just like better than other people. And he'll tell you, like he would tell you the same thing sitting down, like I thought I was it. Um, but we were so different. And like when he would party, he would drink. When I would party, I would drink, and then I would be like, oh, well, let's smoke. Oh, your friends have never smoked weed? Like, let's smoke weed. Oh, your friends have never. So I was the one who was always, like, living on the edge more so than him. And I, he, I don't think that that was, it just wasn't his scene. So I don't know if he felt close enough to me that it would make a difference if he said something. Did you start finding, like, yourself in a spot where you're like, okay, this is getting out of control, and I need to stop, but you just, you just couldn't? Um, I mean, the honest answer is I don't think anything would have changed for me if the state of New Jersey didn't step in. They wanted my medical license. Like, things started to happen. Now, for the longest time, I, you know, you don't miss work. Like, I was a workaholic. I couldn't miss work. I had mouths to feed. So I was on time every day. All my stuff was done perfectly. I mean, it, it was to the point where that was actually strange because people make mistakes. But I had my routine down so well. That was, like, one thing I perfected because I didn't want anybody to see. So um, not until they were coming for my medical license did, did I stop. And I don't think, I don't even think that my, I could have told myself, you need to stop. Like, I think I was that far gone. Wow. So what, what kind of stress do you experience being, I guess, like a functioning addict and, and, and having so much so much pressure, so many responsibilities. I mean, truthfully, if I gotta be honest, like I don't think that I don't think you really experience stress on a level that like I do now. Because um, when you're using, like you're just clouded. It's so long as you're getting what you need and you have it with you everywhere you go, and nobody knows everything else you can do everything else. It's only when you run out that you run into a problem where things start to like, oh my God, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't be here, I can't go there. Um, because you know, people are gonna see you're sick and then they're gonna know. Um, so I think so long as I had what I needed, when I got to the point of everyday, all day use, so long as I had what I needed, I don't really know that I experienced any stress. I think it was just, the same routine day in and day out. 
And so long as that was, it was the same, I could do that. Do you think that during that time, you, you, had, you, you had young kids at that time? I did. Do you think that they ever noticed anything different about, about you? I mean, I don't know if they, they were young, so I don't know if they ever noticed a change in me so much as they saw like the crowd that I was hanging around with change. Um, I think that was like the biggest marker because you know, when you're emotionally invested in somebody, it's not always easy to see. Like when you're that close, it's not really easy to see, but other people, like seeing the circle of friends that I was all of a sudden keeping, I think like they were kind of like, like, ah, uh, who were these people? You know, they knew that they were different from their mom. And I think that they still had me separated as like different from them, even though we were all doing the exact same thing. They're little, they wanna believe that you're good. And you're, you know, when they are little like that, you're the best mom in the world and you're a pretty princess and you're all of these things. So they don't wanna believe it. And, and what would they think was going on? You know, they don't know anything. They're innocent. They don't know anything about drugs or alcohol or, but they definitely knew there were pe a lot more people around a lot more often um, and like shady crowds of people. And you were, you were still by yourself at this time? You were still single mom? Yeah. So the start of the process of, of getting clean, what, what did that look like? Um, like a landslide of bullshit, to be totally honest. <laughs> it was, it was, it was so messy, but like you don't really see the downfall of your active addiction until you try to clean yourself up because you're not the same. Um, I mean, like mentally, you're like a screwball. You just don't, it's hard to have clear thoughts. It's hard, like, so when I started, so I guess I can, I'll be transparent about this. Um, the Board of Nursing came in um, and there's a program called RAMP that the state of New Jersey runs. Um, and it helps addicted nurses get clean. Um, so I got a, I had gotten a letter in the mail. Um, and it was like, uh, I guess somebody at my job at the time had reported, I mean, I had lost like a significant amount of weight at this point. I was like, I was like a hundred pounds soaking wet. So they knew something was going on. They just didn't know what. Um, and I guess at the time the director of nursing had reported me. Um, so I got a letter in the mail. I lost my job and it was like this huge packet of papers and they're like, it's more or less what it comes down to is it's a suggestion. We're suggesting that you seek help. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> push it aside and you just keep moving. And then I don't remember what like sparked me to read it again. I guess I was, I was probably cleaning up and just like came across it. Cause I, what I mean, pushed it to the side. Like, I don't think I looked at it for probably another two or three weeks. So I reread it and I'm like, oh, I mean, like, this is a suggestion, but it's not. This is like, you're gonna come on board with us 
you're going to do what we tell you to do, and then we'll tell you when you can have your nursing license back. So I was like, okay, so this isn't really a suggestion. So my girlfriend, who is a doctor, um, I've always, I've been so fortunate to have her, from the time I became a nurse, she's mentored me. Um, and it's good to have that that card in your pocket because they're they're the real boss in <laughs> in like facilities. Um, I called her and I was like, I just got this packet in the mail. You know, I explained it to her and she's like, oh my God, Nick, you're screwed. Like, whatever they're telling you to do, you need to do it. And I was like, wait, what? So now, now this isn't optional. Um, but somehow I still have to hold a roof over my head, continue my car payment, uh, now I have to find another job. Uh, like all these things are like, it's just messy. It's just chaos. All the things that you ignored while you were using that you sometimes don't even realize you're ignoring are all hitting you in the face at one time and you already can't think straight. You know what I mean? So you just try to process the best that you can. Um, it was chaos, if I'm being 100% honest. I, you couldn't pay me to do it again. <laughs> So after you, so you, when you got that letter, you were still using. Oh yeah. And then after <laughs> that, you, you decided to get clean or how that. So, so there was like this, there was like an intake process, right? So you have this phone interview with somebody and they're like, listen, are you using? No. Okay. So you're willing to take a drug test to show us that you're not using. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, like I drink and I, and I probably drink too much. And then it's like, okay, so we need you to go take a urine test and we need to make sure that that's all you're doing. And I'm like, okay, I'm screwed. At that point, I just owned everything because, I mean, you, you can't... <laughs> You can't lie your way out of a drug, like you can't lie around a drug test, like it is what it is. And it's a good thing I didn't because the test that they did would have found, you name it, it would have found it. <laughs> so I'm glad that I was honest. Um, and that was, you know, that was when they were like, listen, you're gonna be in our program for a while. Um, you're not gonna be able to use, we need you to deactivate your nursing license. So I was like, okay. So, so I'm like, but wait, so now I can't work as a nurse. So like, what about my car? What about my bills? And they're like, good luck. I'm like, oh, oh, and you need to hit 90 meetings in 90 days. And you need to go to, after you get through that, you need to go to three meetings a week for the remainder of whatever amount of time we decide you're going to spend with us. So I was like, oh, so we're, I'm just like not, Imagine now I've said like the full-time job with the two kids, like you don't have any time, but now you're going to find time every single day for 90 days to be somewhere that you don't want to be. Um, it was, it was a lot. I don't think it really hits you until you're through that, those 90 meetings in 90 days. That's when I think it hits you that like, this is real and I need to get my act together. And I'm grateful for it. I really am, in, in hindsight, 
I'm grateful for it. Um, at the time, I was livid. Yeah, so how, how were you processing that? Like, like, what was that, what was your emotional state like? Because you were, I'm assuming that at this point in time, you had stopped using when you got into the program? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, when, so I, I said, it's so, it's so crazy the way that you think because, you know, they do a hair test and, and I'm like, I've never had that done. Like, this is not stuff I've ever dealt with. I've always kind of been able to like slink my way out of things. So now I can't. So I said to my, so I start researching <laughs> hair tests, like how, trying to figure out how long I can use before, like how many days do I have to kind of ease myself into withdrawal before I'll get tested again. And they'll say, okay, your levels are way too high. Like you're still using. Um, and I think I like, like baby stepped it down as much as I could in the next like week. And then I was like, it, like it needs to just stop. Like the pain is coming. So I might as well just, you're, you already feel like crap just reducing the amount that you're using. So it's like, at this point, I might as well just like full throttle, go through it and be over it. Um, ugh, I'll never forget that as long as I live. Did your, did your family know about this was when, when this uh, all took place? Cause you had to, now you had to hit these 90 meetings in these 90 days and you weren't working and. So at this point, because when I lost my job, I was able to kind of talk to my parents and let them know, like, I don't have a job. I lost my job and I could possibly lose my house. Um, and like, the girls need to come stay with you. They need to come stay with you where, like, I know that they'll be taken care of. Because like, before you go through detox, you're like, I'm gonna die. Like, that's your thought. <laughs> I'm going to die. And and that's a pretty realistic thought for a lot of people. Um, so I had finagled my parents into taking care of my kids while I, like, sorted my life out. Um, so my parents took over for the girls, so it was just me, myself, and I. Um, and, and I'm thankful for that as well, but that was really hard. Because I always said that was the one thing that would never happen to me. Um, but I also knew the reality was, like, with with the Board of Nursing and RAMP being involved, like, it wouldn't be hard to report. For I, I didn't know if they, like, report to DIFIS or if they – and what I didn't want was them taken from me. Um, so I gave them to my parents, and my parents cared for them. Wow. So <clears> – <throat> Getting clean, what, what was the hardest part of the recovery process? I mean, uh, like, I knew I had a problem. At this point, I knew. I had lost my kids. I was losing my home. <laughs> like, uh, owning my, like, my, that I had an issue wasn't an issue anymore. Um, I think to this day, like, detoxing cold turkey on the couch is just painful. It's just, it's just painful. I mean, you don't sleep, you don't eat. Your emotions are like up and down at the drop of a hat. Um, a detox in your house, it's not something I recommend. It was 
it was hard. Um, and then staying clean was a task because, like, my consistency hasn't been the best. Um, even when I would use, like, growing up, I was a binge user. So I would use it really hard for a short period of time, and then I would stop. And it was staying that way, right? I never – I don't think I ever went an entire year without substances from the time I picked up my very first drink when I was – 13 or 14 years old. So being consistent was really hard for me. Um, yeah. Detox and consistency, I would say, are the two hardest things about getting clean. You can't even deal with the emotional, like the emotion of losing your kids or there's, I was literally getting hit from all angles, whether it be the board of nursing or um, something going on with my, my home, my car. Like it was just always something. And I still don't know how I avoided legal issues because of this. Like, I just have no idea. God, <laughs> that is the only way. Man, that's, that's tough. It is. It's hard. Yeah. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And now that, and then when did you get back in the clear to be able to get your license back and come back to work and um, that was, that was like, like your 21st birthday all over again for me because you really, you have to go through. So most people get sent away to treatment. Um, I, I did not and, and I probably should have, um, but I didn't. So I miss, um, I lost the question. What did you ask me? Oh, like get, getting, getting, getting. Oh, getting back, back to work. Right. Um, okay, yeah. So they tell you like you need 90 days. 90 meetings in 90 days. Then we'll figure it out basically. So like we'll readdress at 90 days. Great. So at 90 days, I'm like, hey, I finished my 90 and 90. I finished IOP. And they're like, okay. I was like. So can I go back to work? <laughs> uh, no. I was like, oh, okay. How does that work? So there's a whole return to work process. So there's all this. They have you like pre-plan, like what would I do in a crisis? Like what if I feel like using while I'm on the job? What if, like what if this, and you, so it's a series. It's, it's basically like a test, like a written test. Um, and you present it. To your Because while you're doing your 90 meetings in 90 days, you also have like a peer group that you report to every single week. So you have someone checking on you every single week. Um, and you basically get together for an hour and everybody like talks about what's going on in their lives or what's going on professionally. Um, so I'm doing meetings. I'm doing that. I'm, I'm Now I'm waiting for my license. Um, I finished my return to work. I, you have to read it in front of your group of peers, and then the group of peers gets to decide if you get to go back to work or not. So I'm like, all right. I'm like, I know this person. You know, you start doing the math in your head. Like, who's, who's going to say yes and who's going to say no? Well, unanimously, we always said yes um, because it's hard. Like, it's just a hard process. And, like, you're like a juggler. You're just trying not to drop one ball, because if you do, the rest of them might go too. So when I did that and they were like, you can go back to work, 
Um, you have to reactivate your license and that takes a long time. I mean, the Board of Nursing, and I mean this in the kindest way possible, is just like the DMV. So it's at their at their leisure, at their speed, like you got yourself into this. So, so it ended up being nine months from the time I entered into the program to when I was able to reactivate my license. Um, and at that point in time, I had a lot of friends that, like mentors and people that mattered to me, like people that like became like family. Um, and I, I didn't have an issue finding a job, thank God. Um, and I basically rolled, I rolled back into my, my old job. I mean, it was kind of unheard of. Like most jobs, if you get dismissed for something like that, they don't want you back. But I, like I knew people and they, they wanted me to come back and I did. Um, so nine months, I mean, it was like my birthday. It was, it was scary, but it was like, I could finally pay my bills. You know what I mean? Like I finally didn't have to work as a waitress and at a law firm and at this place and that just to make ends meet. Like I could finally just have one job that I knew I was really good at. So it was amazing. Was there ever a part or, or a point that you reached like in that process? Because that's a lot to, you know, it is stressful and it's like a lot of uncertainty. Was there any point in time where you were almost kind of like, I forget it. Like, I'm just going to... Oh, I can't. I cannot tell you how many times I said to myself, like, I'm just going to work in this. I'm just going to keep working in this attorney's office. I'll just work my way up the ladder. Maybe I should be, like, maybe I'm meant to be something. Maybe I'm not meant to be a nurse, right? Because it's just so much easier to, like, tuck your tail and run than actually, like, look at the things you did to the people you did them to. Like, it's just so much easier to act like it never happened. But going like putting myself through school again, I was just like, that's never gonna happen. So I'm I'm looking at making what I make or making like minimum wage and trying to support it just I mean it wasn't it just the math didn't work, didn't add up. So I had no choice. <laughs> and so <clears throat> after after you got clean and you, you got sober, how did how did life change for you? I mean, um, like it did change for me a lot. Um, I feel like there was like a period where everything, like you could not have told me a negative thing. You know, they call it they call it the pink cloud. You get like 90 days of just like everything. All of a sudden, like your music sounds different and like colors are brighter. And because you don't realize like how much you are actually like drowning yourself, like all the like simple pleasures that everybody has. Um, so there's a there's a solid like three months where like you couldn't tell me a single bad thing. I would be like, oh, it's going to be OK. It's going to work out. Um And now, like, being, having been in recovery, I've learned that, like, no, like, you don't make, you don't make serious decisions based off of emotions. Like, that is so important. Um, 
Like if I feel some type of way about someone or something, I don't deal with it right then. I wait until I've worked through that in my own head before I attempt to have like a discussion about it. Um, life is just simple, right? It's just you got to avoid triggers. Um, don't put yourself in harm's way. Like there's, if you feel like they're, you know, I don't go to a bar, even though all my, like a lot of my friends drink. For them, that's great. I'm not going to a bar with you because I don't drink. So I don't put myself in situations where I have to continue to make the choice, right? It's, it's like people, places, and things. If, it, if there's any chance that it could trigger an issue, I don't go. Um, I don't, my life is just so simple. It's just so much easier to make the right decision and to live honestly. Um, and I find as long as I'm doing that, like I don't run into complications. <laughs> so what are you most excited about for the future? That's a good question. Um, like, I am, like, blessed with four beautiful, healthy children. And I have, you know, my, my daughters that went through some of the active addiction with me, like, they're back with me. And that is such a blessing. Um, there are so many people that never get there, and they never get that chance. So my, like, biggest joy and biggest excitement would probably be like, I just wanna, I wanna see like how they end up. Like I, I wanna see who they turn into. Um, my kids are my joy. Um, and looking back over everything, what's one of the biggest lessons you learned? One of the biggest lessons, um, I mean, literally there are so many, I, I'll be doing it a disservice, but, um, you know, if I guess one of the, one of the big things that I learned, like if I'm, if I'm going to make a big decision and I really, I'm unsure, always run it by somebody else, like somebody else who's living the same lifestyle that I am who can, who may be able to like play the tape all the way out and be like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Um, like all big major decisions I run by my fiance who is also in recovery. Um, and he's pretty good about like putting the brakes on if it's, if it's too much too fast. Um, and you do get there. I mean, you know, recovery can be boring right? Because people are out living the nightlife. So you try to spice it up in your own life, like however you can. Um, you like make, I, I guess, healthy chaos, if you will. Um, so there are times where I'm like, oh yeah, we should do this. We should go here. We should travel to this place. And it's like, okay, well, have you thought about like, what are we going to do with the kids? And who's going to watch the dog? Like sometimes I can catch myself not thinking up things all the way out. And thank God there is somebody to be like, wait a minute. Um, and I think we both do that for each other. So any major decisions I normally run by another recovering addict, because at any given moment, like I can be completely out of my mind. <laughs>
And so, if you had to leave somebody with a piece of advice, say somebody who's either, you know, going through the struggle of addiction right now, or maybe they know somebody who's going through that, what advice could you give them? To a using addict? Um, all I can really say is, like, trust the process and it gets better. Just stay. Like, you have to stay long. They always used to tell me you have to stay long enough. You have to wait for the miracle. And and then I would stay and I would get a miracle, right? And then they'd be like, oh, no, but you got to stay for the miracle. And then you stay and then there's another. So... It's certainly the hardest thing you'll ever do, um, but it's it's also very rewarding. So just stay is always what I would say. Just keep going. And what would you say to somebody who maybe has a loved one or somebody that they care about going through it? I mean, so many times, see, I struggle with that because so many times we're like, reach out if you need help, reach out if you need help. But like when I was in the, my darkest, I couldn't reach out. So like, I guess my advice, re, reach in. Somebody like to these addicts that are using, like reach in and try to pull them out. Um, and I don't mean let it cost you everything. I don't mean give up like things that you shouldn't. I just mean like you can't always reach out when you need help. And so like, if you're like me, I didn't even know I needed help until somebody put a serious stop on what I was doing. And then I was like, okay, I need help. But I think rather than telling people to reach out, I think that like the community of recovering addicts or just loved ones, like reach in because sometimes that's all people are waiting for. Well, Nikki. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story. Thanks.